The year is 2070. Cars lie abandoned and rusting as they litter the streets and motorways. The rainforest in Sumatra, the Congo and the Amazon have now completely disappeared, with obsolete palm oil plantations having consumed them and then largely dried up themselves. And with the disappearance of the rainforest, the wild animal kingdom has been decimated, with over 90% of vertebrate populations dying out since the turn of the century. The idea of biodiversity is but a memory. And with industry having polluted the seas beyond repair, fish and coral reefs have also long since become extinct. Our once precious iPads, iPhones, computers and other technology which we once took for granted in our daily lives have become useless hunks of metal. The new must-have commodity is uncontaminated water, which is in such short supply that people are prepared to kill for it and regularly do. Mob rule is prominent as the laughably fragile, greedy and short-termist systems of government employed in the early part of the century have been destroyed. Despite the fact that disease and starvation have ravaged large parts of the world, the global population remains close to 10 billion. Yet scarcity abounds, with most struggling to fill their plates each week with basic food, let alone proper nourishment. With heat waves rendering ever larger swathes of the planet uninhabitable, entire populations are moving into a shrinking belt of still livable planet Earth. There is also a huge deficit in the practical skills required to survive in a world which no longer has the power to rely on computers from the doomed digital age. Machines once used in an attempt to automate the world form large scrap heaps that remind us of the previous epoch of excess and profligacy of resources that dried up so quickly as we blithely waded towards the planet's tipping point that the world had no time to react. A few remain comparatively comfortable in their tall-walled, gated communities, which are marshaled by heavily armed guards at all times. Guards who have become completely desensitized to slaughter as they have shot and killed the thousands of men, women and children who have tried and failed to get themselves and their families into the exclusive sanctuaries which are now the preserve of the elite. But even the elite have heavily restricted freedom as they dare not leave their comparatively lavish prisons and are constantly concerned about the uprisings of their military personnel who, while well compensated, have suffering friends and families of their own on the outside. No one knows what the future holds, but that unpredictability no longer thrills anyone. It's a dour life with little hope for future generations. And while they still enjoy their meat dinners on occasion, even the elite are remorseful about how their forefathers treated this once impossibly beautiful world with such flagrant disrespect and avarice. And they are, to a man, painfully nostalgic about the halcyon days of old, when freedom of movement was taken for granted by the middle and upper classes. When one could get completely lost for weeks in vast forests of lush trees and foliage around the world. Where wildlife still existed and where fish thrived in the seas in their billions. And even the richest on the planet long for a return to that time. They long for a chance to redress the balance of nature and the environment. Alas, the balance has been inexorably tipped. To the eternal despair of all, planet Earth will not die of natural causes, but instead, like an obese 40-year-old whose arteries are clogged with saturated fat so the heart can no longer pump the blood around the body, 
and whose lungs are filled with smoke where fresh air and oxygen once fed the brain. To a man, there is still incredulity that the human race destroyed something so beautiful. If only we had another chance. If only we could turn back time. If only we could speak to those who so happily traded material wealth and pollution for a sustainable future on planet Earth. Alas, the tipping point has been reached and passed, and the world is now so far removed from that beauty that it feels like a distant dream, something that only ever existed in the mind. Until perhaps 10 years ago, anyone who projected a world like this in the near future was largely written off as a hippie, a complete madman, a conspiracy theorist who was on the wrong side of the wealth divide and bitter as a consequence. But like it or not, this is where the world is headed if we remain on the same trajectory. A Mad Max-style dystopian near future where planet Earth is at breaking point. Like a car that has been thrashed for decades without servicing by its negligent and angry owner and is on its last legs. The planet simply cannot support the current levels of industry, pollution, increasing population, use of raw materials and plundering of the animal population. These projections are no longer the realm of the fantasists or conspiracy theorists. Mainstream media is now reporting on it regularly. British media outlet The Telegraph. Five times in the past 440 million years, life on Earth has suffered a great dying, a mass extinction, eliminating between half and 97% of the species. In the words of paleoanthropologist and conservationist Richard Leakey, such events restructure the biosphere. Life takes millions of years to recover and only does so by undergoing fundamental changes such as mammals succeeding dinosaurs. Yesterday, a report demonstrated how we are now, as Lord May, the former president of the Royal Society once put it, on the breaking tip of a sixth great wave of extinction. And while past ones have been blamed on intense warming or cooling of the climate or asteroid impact, this is in danger of being the first to have been brought about by one of the very species ultimately at risk. Ourselves. The brilliant Stephen Hawking said, it will be difficult enough to avoid disaster on planet Earth in the next hundred years, let alone the next thousand or million. Elon Musk in 2013, an extinction event is inevitable and we're increasingly doing ourselves in. British media outlet The Guardian reported recently, and by the way, all these links are in the show notes at naturalhigh.club forward slash Elon Musk. The Earth stands on the brink of its sixth mass extinction and the fault is ours. Past extinctions have been driven by what are now becoming very familiar horsemen of the planetary apocalypse. Massive volcanic outbursts to choke the atmosphere and poison the seas, the mayhem caused by major asteroid impact, and the wrenching effects of rapid climate change. None of these has really figured in the current biological crisis, not even climate change, which is still only in its early stages. Instead, the extinctions are being driven by the effects of just one single species, Homo sapiens. Such a mass extinction has not occurred before. Even more extraordinarily, this single species is land-living but has managed to become the top predator in the oceans too, causing populations of whales and fish to collapse. In all, our single species now commandeers somewhere between 25% and 40% of primary productivity on Earth. These are horrific projections for 30, 40 and 50 years into the future, but perhaps a more palpable report emerged from The Guardian last week. It should have been on the front 
back and all pages in between, such as the importance of the issue. Instead, it had to share page space with subjects such as the Great British Bake Off and the US presidential election. Important, I'm sure, but there is a far bigger issue here that relates to every single being on the planet. The Guardian stated, The world is on track to lose two-thirds of wild animals by 2020, major report warns. Living Planet Index shows vertebrate populations are set to decline by 67% on 1970 levels unless urgent action is taken to reduce humanity's impact. It goes on, The number of wild animals living on Earth is set to fall by two-thirds by 2020, according to a new report, part of a mass extinction that is destroying the natural world upon which humanity depends. The analysis, the most comprehensive to date, indicates that animal populations plummeted by 58% between 1970 and 2012, with losses on track to reach 67% by 2020. Researchers from WWF and the Zoological Society of London compiled the report from scientific data and found that the destruction of wild habitats, hunting and pollution were to blame. The creatures being lost range from mountains to forests to rivers and the seas and include well-known endangered species such as elephants and gorillas and lesser-known creatures such as vultures and salamanders. The collapse of wildlife is, with climate change, the most striking sign of Anthropocene, a proposed new geological era in which humans dominate the planet. We're no longer a small world on a big planet. We are now a big world on a small planet where we have reached a saturation point, said Professor Johan Rockstrom, executive director of the Stockholm Resilience Centre, in a foreword for the report. That's a catastrophe, right? That absolutely dwarfs the extinction of the dinosaurs, right? Just to give you a headline there, in the space of just 50 years, between 1970 and 2020, we will lose two-thirds of the wild animals in existence. So perhaps when we're old, we'll be telling our kids and grandkids about animals which we took for granted, but which are now extinct. Gorillas, elephants, they won't be around. Run for the hills, people, because you are totally and utterly screwed if we keep hurtling along as if nothing is wrong. I feel that part of the problem is that we are told that resources are drying up, that we eat too much meat, that wild animals are dying out at an astonishing rate, and that pollution is at an all-time high, but we in the Western world can't actually see or feel it yet. What we see in the Western world is a life that is more comfortable and instantaneous than ever. We've limitless knowledge at our fingertips. We've got unbelievable selections of food, drink and entertainments. And by the way, so many of us still aren't happy. The wars are still fought at a comfortable distance from our doorsteps in what still seems like a bad dream. And the problem is that everyone in the West has a more short-termist approach to life than ever. Get as much money as you can, as quickly as possible, and own loads of shiny stuff. And because we can't feel the pain directly, we don't prioritise it. Furthermore, we don't feel that, as individuals, we can make a difference. Politicians don't bother with the hard sell of the environment, which should be at the head of every political agenda, but isn't seen as a subject which can win elections. In America, for example, the scarcely fathomable has happened. Donald Trump is the president-elect. This is a man who has called man-made global warming a hoax and has threatened to tear up the Paris Climate Agreement, which has made unprecedented steps to find a global solution to global warming. 
the BBC says specifically about the agreement, governments have agreed to keep the global temperature rise to two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and preferably 1.5 degrees. As I already stated, this same report says Donald Trump has called man-made climate change a hoax and said he would cancel the Paris Agreement and other international efforts to address the issue. He says he supports clean water and air but wants to slash funding to the Environmental Protection Agency in the US. Defeated candidate Hillary Clinton was more in tune with environmental issues, but it was still far from a headline on her mission statement for presidency. The overall problem seems to be that people in power want to simply hoard what they have and preserve the status quo rather than trying to save the planet. It will cost them too much in the first instance. But there is one man who I see as a genuine hero in this world and how humanity could use another 20 Elon Musks right now. This is a man who gives not one ounce of fuck about his personal wealth. Elon Musk is the beautifully refreshing antithesis of the money men, power brokers, fossil fuel industrialists and the establishment in the modern world. His idea of progress is not to increase his bank balance by another few zeros while millions starve and the planet dies. His name is increasingly prominent in current affairs and I recently read a brilliant biography about him which was written by Ashley Vance. The link to this book and all other references in the podcast are in the show notes at naturalhigh.club forward slash Elon Musk and I'd recommend it to anyone and everyone. But for those who haven't read it and need a quick synopsis of the book on the man... Disclaimer. All information is correct to the best of our knowledge and after careful research. Apologies in advance to Elon for any factual inaccuracies. We truly respect what you're doing for the planet and have nothing but love for you, man. Elon Musk was born in Pretoria in South Africa in 1971 to May and Errol Musk. His mother was a model and dietitian and his father an electromechanical engineer. After his parents divorced in 1980, he spent much of his time living with his father and indulging his obsession with computers. He was bullied at school. What must those idiots be thinking now when they see the living legend on the cover of Time magazine? When he reached manhood, he wasted little time moving to America and was accepted to Queen's University in Ontario at the age of 19. He transferred to Pennsylvania, where he finished his Bachelor of Science degree in Physics from their College of Arts and Science, as well as completing a Bachelor of Science degree in Economics, which he studied at the Wharton School of Business. He then started a PhD in Applied Physics and Material Science at Stanford University in California, but apparently thought bollocks to that after just a few days. And at 24, he went out into the world of business. This was 1995. He soon started his first proper company, Zip2, with his brother Kimball, reportedly using a loan of under $30,000 from his father. Zip2 made its fortune by developing an internet city guide for the newspaper industry during the formative days of the web. Through his undoubted ingenuity, as well as Musk's workaholic tendencies, his office regularly doubled as his living quarters in his early career. He made a huge success of the business and Zip2 was acquired for around 307 million bucks and some stock options in 1999. The young legend made about $22 million from this sale. Many would, of course, have considered that an almost unfathomable fortune and spent the rest of their 20s and 30s spunking their money up the wall on fast cars and women to the terminal disadvantage of their vital organs and prospects. But Mr. Musk, you will come to understand, was just getting warmed up, just cracking his fingers in readiness for a more expansive future. In 1999, he co-founded X.com, an online financial services and email payment system with $10 million of his own cashish. 
After a year, the company merged with Confinity, which owned a similar online payment system, which you may well know as PayPal. In 2002, eBay bought PayPal for $1.5 billion, and Elon reportedly made $165 million from the transaction. Now, at this point, many would, of course, have thought, life can't get any better than this. Even if I start another successful business, then I may never be this wealthy again, and it would take years off my life in terms of stress trying. Surely now be the time to enjoy some even faster women and cars, to buy the odd island and then get married and settle down to a life punctuated by tea and tennis in the afternoons on my imported lawn, which is perfectly sprinkled with water each day by the staff who you insist address you by your first name. How many times? Call me Elon for God's sake, Parker. But Elon simply doesn't play by the rulebook of the current elite of this world. He had far bigger fish to fry, and as stated earlier, seems like one of the few business magnets in the world who's not seduced by monetary or material wealth. And even the more philanthropic businessmen in the world wouldn't have touched Musk's next project with a barge pole. So, with $100 million of his own fortune, Musk then founded Space Exploration Technologies, or SpaceX, in June 2002. And he also led a round of investment for Tesla in February 2004, which saw him joining Tesla's board of directors as its chairman. And following the financial crisis in 2008, Musk assumed leadership of the company as CEO and product architect, a position that he still holds today. As Elon himself put it, with his typically ruthless efficacy in his master plan part 2, which I'll refer to in more detail later, I thought our chances of success were so low that I didn't want to risk anyone else's funds in the beginning but my own. The list of successful car company startups is short. As of 2016, the number of American car companies that haven't gone bankrupt is a grand total of two, Ford and Tesla. Starting a car company is idiotic, he says, and an electric car company is idiocy squared. This is a true visionary who sees where the world is currently headed. He knows that he may not be around to see Armageddon, but he cares about the future of mankind. We aren't talking about a man who may be remembered for 50 years after his death like a Rockefeller, a Trump, or another capitalist with ludicrous wealth that will never be spent. No, the name of Musk may well endure for millennia and be used in the same sentence as Da Vinci, Galileo, Darwin and Einstein. People who dared to confound physics and the status quo, however much it annoyed the wealthy establishment. To proliferate the world and mankind rather than simply exploiting and destroying it for personal gain. Only by reading the brilliant biography will you truly get an understanding of how impossibly resilient Elon Musk has been through his career. He's a genius for sure, but I feel that if you put 99 other geniuses in his place, they probably would all have failed given these circumstances. They would have given up in the face of the logistical, financial and technological challenges that he's had to deal with at SpaceX and Tesla. I may of course be wrong, but the way I see it, the space and motor industries are steeped in nepotistic elitism. They are cartels of uber-rich individuals who don't want things to change because despite how harmful their industries are to the planet and to a sustainable future for humankind, a change in method could damage their wealth pile in the short term and most probably would. 
So when the supreme Elon Musk rocked up and started ruffling feathers in these industries, winning contracts with NASA and smashing through a wall every day with his bare hands to keep Tesla afloat, the establishment was finally forced to accept that it had a serious challenge on its hands. And a quick reference here, I want to point you in the direction of a documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car? Again, it's in the show notes, but it's a must-watch documentary because it deals with the oil-driven motor industry's successful attempts to sabotage the electric car when it was first designed and mooted as a viable alternative to CO2-producing cars back in the 60s and 70s. It's an amazing documentary, and Elon even puts in a cameo. But even if Tesla and SpaceX weren't immediately successful and still face huge challenges, Elon Musk has already changed the world forever. He's fought and won a massive battle for mankind because by demonstrating that electric cars can perform as well as or better than petrol motors, can save the environment and can be every bit as sexy as even a Ferrari or a Porsche, he's raised awareness and the motor industry has had to start following suit. They can no longer brush this man under the carpet. They can't make him disappear. They can no longer just keep pumping out these fuel guzzlers with their age-old machines, methods, and economies of scale, which line their pockets but continue to destroy the planet. Major manufacturers are now rolling out their own versions, and surely no car maker will survive for too much longer if they don't design and produce their own electric cars. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that Elon has been the biggest catalyst for this amazing budging of a seemingly immovable object, the wealthy establishment, or as I like to call them, the fossil apostles. And with SpaceX, by conceiving and designing parts for space travel, which are made for an almost impossibly tiny fraction of the cost that his rivals have been producing them for for decades and winning massive contracts as a consequence, he's forced to rethink among all the major players and effectively made space travel affordable again. And his idea for reusable rockets is at the heart of this project because they are the most expensive bits to produce and they have until now only had the capacity to be used once per mission. So in some ways, Elon Musk is the Satan of the ruling classes, that pain in the ass visionary who's cost them a fortune, forced them to change their practices and pulled away the veil of ignorance that the world has endured because of these fat cat industrialists. Elon has talked about this vision in his own words and he says, the point of all this was and remains accelerating the advent of sustainable energy so that we can imagine far into the future and life is still good. That's what sustainable means. It's not some silly hippie thing. It matters for everyone. By definition, we must at some point achieve a sustainable energy economy or we will run out of fossil fuels to burn and civilization will collapse. Given that we must get off fossil fuels anyway and that virtually all scientists agree that dramatically increasing atmospheric and oceanic carbon levels is insane, the faster we achieve sustainability, the better. Please remember this. It's probably the most important point of the whole podcast, so much so that I feel almost compelled to shout every word or repeat it at least twice. But it's so important to us, the human race. And if you care about the world, if you care about the human race, then you must accept this point as fact. Anyone who tries to besmirch the name of Elon Musk and what he's trying to do doesn't care about the future of planet Earth. They care only about themselves and preserving their wealth and the status quo. In reality, he is humanity's great hope. He probably isn't enough on his own, but without him, 
we're truly screwed. The reality, the actual facts, are that Tesla cars are already far safer than conventional cars. But his company, Tesla, gets an awful lot of bad publicity. A hugely disproportionate amount, in fact. I refer you again to a report in The Guardian after a May the 7th fatality of a Tesla driver. This report states that in the US, about 33,000 people are killed in automotive accidents every year. That's 90 a day on average. So on May the 7th, about 89 other people people, as well as Joshua Brown, were killed in car crashes. But we heard nothing about those 89 personal and family tragedies. The only death that most people in the US heard about was Mr. Brown's. The report continues, according to the US National Motor Vehicle Crash Causation Survey, 94% of all accidents in the US are caused by driver, i.e. human error. And as Tesla pointed out, there is a fatality every 94 million miles in all vehicles in the US. The worldwide figure is about one fatality every 60 million miles driven. Joshua Brown's death, he was the guy that died in the Tesla, was the first known fatality in the 130 million miles where autopilot was activated. And Elon's rockets crash at times too, but again, he's been more efficient and successful with his launches than any other company. Elon Musk is not only trying to save our planet by making green cars, solar panels and power walls, but he is trying to offer us an alternative planet to live on if all else fails, which is Mars. And that brings me on to his master plans. These are Elon Musk's mission statements, which periodically map out his long-term objectives. They attempt to illustrate the transparency of his organizations, but perhaps by making his plans public, he's also putting pressure on himself to reach his targets and his goals. Anyhow, the first of these, the Master Plan Part 1, was written on August 2nd, 2006. Tesla Master Plan Part 1. 1. 1. 1. His plans seemed almost impossibly ambitious at the time. I quote, As you know, the initial product of Tesla Motors is a high-performance electric sports car called the Tesla Roadster. However, some readers may not be aware of the fact that our long-term plan is to build a wide range of models, including affordably priced family cars. This is because the overarching purpose of Tesla Motors, and the reason I'm funding the company, is to help expedite the move from a mine-and-burn hydrocarbon economy towards a solar electric economy, which I believe to be the primary but not exclusive sustainable solution. There were several other headline points to the Tesla Master Plan Part 1, and they are bulleted here. Tesla Master Plan Part 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. A. Build a sports car. B. Use that money to build an affordable car. C. Use that money to build an even more affordable car. And D. While doing the above, also provide zero emission electric power generation options. Well, Tesla have since launched three more models. The S and the X, which are stunning performance vehicles. The S is a beautiful saloon car, which comes in at around $66,000 cash price, if I'm reading the Tesla website correctly. And the X... My personal favourite is an SUV, which literally makes the mouth dribble. That comes in at just under $89,000, and one of its amazing features is that it has falcon wing doors. Go to tesla.com and have a look at that for yourself. The price obviously depends on where you're buying it from. And true to his promise, Elon Musk has now developed the Model 3. The Model 3 enjoys much of the same sophisticated technology as its predecessors, the S and the X, but it comes in at somewhere around $35,000, making it 
the aforementioned even more affordable Tesla model. Pre-orders of the car are somewhere around 400,000 as of June 2016. I'm sure that's risen again since, making it one of the biggest product launches, if not the biggest product launch in history. A little aside here, and I don't know about you, but Tesla reminds me in so many ways of the brilliant Apple computers and Steve Jobs in as much as it is completely changing the face of its industry with products which aren't exactly cheap, but are of incredible quality and allure. Like Apple, Tesla is a wonderful marriage of delicious design, quality and performance. So much so that the brand is just making itself impossible to ignore without even the merest hint of advertising. The S and X are class leaders and the three surely will be the best car in its category too. So essentially, Elon Musk has achieved all of these goals in a very short space of time. Tesla master plan part one, 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 <clears throat> one. D, while doing the above, also provides zero emission electric power generation options. Well, in terms of this part of the master plan, the batteries are working, the power walls are working and the solar roofs are coming into full effect as Elon publicly launched those in California in November 2016. So Elon set himself a ridiculously high bar in Master Plan Part 1 and although his targets were seemingly unrealistically ambitious at the time, he has achieved everything that he set out to do, which is even more remarkable when you consider the stubbornness of the motor industry in America. Tesla Master Plan Part 2, two, 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 two. So fast forward to Master Plan Part 2, as he called it, released on the 20th of July 2016. And by now, we should expect ridiculously ambitious targets. So in this Master Plan, he wanted to Tesla Master Plan Part 2, two, two. A. Create stunning solar roofs with seamlessly integrated battery storage. B. Expand the electric vehicle production line to address all major segments. C. Develop a driving capability that is 10 times safer than manual via massive fleet learning. D. Enable your car to make money for you when you aren't using it. So I'm quoting Elon Musk here just to delve a little bit further into the bullet points of Master Plan Part 2. Create a smoothly integrated and beautiful solar roof with battery product that just works, empowering the individual as their own utility and then scale throughout the world. One ordering experience, one installation, one service contract, one phone app. The amazing thing about these energy storage solutions, the power walls and the solar roof, is that the energy that you don't use gets put back into the grid so you can actually make money with your solar panels. These solar roofs strike me as a complete no-brainer. And governments who care about the future of humanity should surely be doing big deals with Elon Musk and subsidising and facilitating the installation of these on businesses and residential roofs all over their countries. Although the world may not look that different from the air in 20 years' time, as these panels that Musk has designed are almost imperceptibly different from current roofs, we have to imagine that if we are to successfully save the planet, we must convert really quickly. They will save the planet, but from a personal perspective, they will also save you money in the long term. Tesla Master Plan Part 2. Two. Two. Expand to cover major forms of terrestrial transport. So the plan is to roll out public transport that can take advantage of the lithium-ion batteries too. They're the batteries that the Tesla cars currently use. 
And based on the fact that he's rolled out three models of car over the last 10 years, it's not hard to imagine that Elon Musk will be able to design and knock out a couple of really game-changing public vehicles over the next decade. Tesla master plan part two, two, two. Again, we're looking at very ambitious targets here, but probably with a scientific grounding. And when you look at the figures that we spoke about earlier, there is a worldwide average fatality once every 60 million miles. With Tesla on autopilot, there has been one recorded fatality in 130 million miles. So we're already talking about a car on autopilot, which is twice as safe as the average fatality statistics for the motor industry in general. So again, it's not too difficult to conceive of a near future with an autopilot system in the Tesla, which is 10 times safer than conventional driving. Tesla master plan part two, two, two. So the idea of sharing is that you buy a Tesla, but when you're not using it, which for many people is a lot of the time, the car can be used by other people. So without any effort on your part whatsoever, your Tesla car doubles as a business and second revenue stream for you, as well as reducing the number of cars on the road. Tesla master plan part two, two. And he ends his part dear by saying what really matters to accelerate a sustainable future is being able to scale up production volume as quickly as possible. That is why Tesla engineering has transitioned to focus heavily on designing the machine that makes the machine, turning the factory itself into a product. A first principles physics analysis of automotive production suggests that somewhere between five to tenfold improvement is achievable by version three on a roughly two year iteration cycle. The first Model 3 factory machine should be thought of as version 0.5 with version 1.0 probably in 2018. And this is the bit that fascinates me. Through reading the biography, it is clear that logistics have been a huge challenge and a huge problem for Tesla and SpaceX. Tesla had some parts manufactured elsewhere to start with all around the world, but now they seem to be trying to make as many of their components in-house as possible. They're building a gigafactory in Nevada, which is going to have the biggest surface area of any building in the world. And that's to cope with current and future demand, particularly for the lithium ion batteries. And they're also making machines that can make the machines in an ever more efficient and large scale way. But if Tesla truly wants to be a global player and have a discernible impact on the environment, as Musk clearly does, then other provisions will surely have to be made. In terms of cost effectiveness and carbon footprint, there will likely come a point in the not too distant future where large scale Tesla production and manufacture will have to take place in other countries as well, rather than them having to export their sensational products around the world in ever greater numbers. But Elon doesn't like to be presented with problems without being offered a solution. So this is the natural highs take on what could be an important element of Master Plan Part 3, 3, 3. And with the rate at which Tesla is growing, perhaps it needs to happen far sooner than 10 years down the line. We think that Elon genuinely wants to change the world. He's so far concentrated on technology to do that. Perhaps, with the population still exploding, 
the next step should be to move some focus onto human resource. Imagine a world where Tesla upskills people around the globe to work for them in future, to start small by deploying teachers to Africa, Asia and South America to form Tesla schools where young people can be educated in the ways of Tesla and Solar City in engineering, manufacturing, project management, administration, sales and every aspect of this incredible company which needs to become ever more prominent if our planet is to survive and thrive. Imagine the thirst for knowledge and real practical skills of young people, especially in poorer countries and in the world at large. No matter how successful Tesla are at automating their factories and building these incredible machines which will one day build the machines which build the cars and build the solar roofs themselves, skilled human resources will always be required. Not least to get all those solar roofs installed around the world at the rate at which we need to in order to save our planet. As technology takes over, we seem to have less and less practical skills than ever. And how are we going to deal with the possible crises ahead if we don't know how to build for the future with our own hands? Governments would surely love to help Tesla to have a presence in their countries, because which governments in their right mind would turn away any harmless industry and wealth creator, particularly one as forward-thinking and potentially future-proof as Tesla? Put it this way, there'd be no shortage of suitors. If Tesla started to upskill people in different continents now or in the near future, it would be creating an infrastructure which would make it almost immeasurably easier to then roll out production in other countries when that time comes. They could start small, send engineers to start small schools which offer scholarships to the lucky few, subsidised by governments of course, to teach them maybe in the first instance about Tesla energy, the power walls, the solar panel roofs and how they work and how to install them. In five years those students themselves could be the first generation of native teachers who could, in turn, upskill alone more youngsters who are desperate for opportunities to become skilled employees of a company of the future, a company that they can believe in, an organisation that's trying to improve their world rather than simply trying to shaft their country by plundering their raw materials at an extortionately low rate. Tesla has so much on its plate already, of course, just to keep afloat and deal with current production levels. Current resources must be seriously tested and stretched to the limit on a daily basis. But production will remain an issue for the next 20 years as the company attempts to meet demand and really reduce the carbon footprint around the world. But if they could find some extra resource to start small schools abroad, funded in large part by governments with the promise of future industry in their country, imagine how much easier it would be to roll out production on a truly global scale in future. To create new generations of engineers, product managers, project managers, sales teams, accountants, administrators, all with specific Tesla skills for when their country has a gigafactory of its own built. In the brilliant documentary Before the Flood, which was produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, Elon suggests that 100 gigafactories would be enough to power the whole world in a sustainable fashion. If Tesla could upskill a workforce before these gigafactories are built, they would be in a great position because they'd have already built the foundations for a skilled international labour force ready to go. Of course, Elon's not going to be able to build all 100 of these gigafactories, but a man of this ambition must already have designs on rolling out his business on a truly global scale, producing cars, power walls, solar panels and other components in other strategic locations around the world so that they don't have to ship everything at huge cost to themselves, to all of their customers, and 
in so doing, they would also be able to hugely reduce their own carbon footprint again. This would all mean increased production, increased employment and education in the fascinating and vital areas of science and manufacturing. In this way, Tesla and Solar City really might be able to take a meaningful chunk out of global warming in the space of the next 20 years. And Elon Musk could look in his lifetime at a world which has been markedly changed for the better because of him. This will hopefully provide some food for thought for Elon, Tesla and Solar City. But the main aim of this podcast was to really just big up Elon Musk. And if I can raise the awareness of one person as to the work that this dude is doing to make the world a better place, then I'll feel as if I've won. In an ever more greedy, materialistic and self-obsessed and wasteful world, this guy is a beacon One of the only beacons of optimism. A guy who could not give a monkeys about something so pitiful and destructive as money. All I implore you to do is ignore the negative press. Don't be fooled by the naysayers with their hidden agendas. Because when you look at the naked facts, Elon is one of the only true philanthropists in modern industry and is most certainly on a very small shortlist for the title of saviour of humanity. Remember, you can drop us a line at adminandnaturalhigh.club or follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club. Love you.